Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. Ooh. Now, listeners, do you need the full score to Angel? I do. Or how about a cut song from Away We Go, which later became Oklahoma, exclamation point. What if you want to see one of Sondheim's first musical compositions? Yeah. Where could you see all that? In the Library of Congress? Lincoln Center? Sondheim's office? Nope. Just simply go down to the apartment of one of Broadway's most reliable resources, who just happens to be today's guest. Yes, our guest mm-hmm. today holds the largest private collection of musical theater sheet music, and he is oh so generous with it. His enthusiasm for the show tune is infectious. He consistently shares the wealth of his collection with a whole new generation, and he is the ultimate resource on musical theater music. Plus, he is a fabulous music director and one of the most needed men in this business, Mr. Michael Levine. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Glad you welcome to my apartment. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, our listeners, this is like Disneyland. I'm trying to, for us. ever since I met you, I'm trying to act really cool and it's all good, but yeah. I'm actually in hog heaven right now looking around. He's, there's well, cupboards. pulled out the file cabinet. I, exactly. And it's like, it, I, I feel like I could live here for months and be fine. There is one whole wall of a very large apartment <laughs> that is just filled with filing cabinets and sheet music. We'll take a picture for you all to, to see what we're talking about. This is incredible. When did this start for you? Well, I've been collecting since I was a kid, and I remember coming up to New York City in the 70s and going to uh, Hanson's, which was at right around the corner from here. It was right across on the east side of Broadway, right around 66th Street, 65th Street, and it was a sheet music shop, and I used to... I remember they had a half-price sale, and I found the $25 score to company for $12.50, and when I have to buy that. Oh, yeah. This yeah. was back when the company was only a few years old. Right. But um, And then when I moved to New York... I started collecting with avidity, going to spending lots of time at Colony and just buying sheet music galore. So for for our listeners, yeah, I was gonna say, it's sad that Colony a, is actually a while. gone, and it's, that was here when I came to New York, but it's gone. It's actually been gone for a while. Yeah. So what was Colony? 
not only was a sheet music shop, it was actually a shop that it started out as a sheet music shop in the maybe 60s. In the Brill Building. In the too. Brill Building, yeah. which is where lots of songs were written. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could go there and you could, and, and the big the big ad on the on the bag, on the bag that you get said, I founded a colony with a person <laughs> holding up a piece of sheet music. <laughs> and um, you could pretty much get anything there. They would, they would, they would have, if, if they started out selling it for the actual price, then they started, their rent was so ridiculously high. Yeah. I think it was something like $35,000 a month, maybe even more than oh. that. And they had to stick extra stickers on to add a dollar or two dollars or $3 to the prices of sheet music. But that was the only way they could afford to keep in business. And then eventually they started selling more and more things, tchotchkes and souvenirs yeah, of right. New York. Um, and finally, less and less people buy sheet music. They also sold a lot of CDs there. But you could pretty much get anything there. There were there, in the, in the, When I first came to New York, there were shops that sold uh, rare, out-of-print, used sheet music. There was a place called the uh, Lincoln Square... Lincoln Square Music, which was in the Ansonia, where Amda started at 73rd and Broadway. And I remember finding uh, published sheets for um, songs you might want to consider, songs that were cut from Funny Thing Happened to the Way to the Forum, um, Your Eyes Are Blue, and also called Once oh, Upon a Time. Published. Uh, published. They actually published. I can show you published sheets of that. And um, a song called I Do Like You that I like a lot. That's actually in one of the All Sondheims. Written as a duet for Hysterium and Pseudolus, but in the published sheet, just the solo version, but they put it as a duet in the All Sondheim. This is a really stupid question. Did they publish the sheet music prior to the song getting cut, or how did how did that work? Yeah, usually they publish sheet Like, for example, with The Way We Go, which we became in Oklahoma, they published a sheet music in Boston or, or, or Philadelphia, wherever the show was trying out because they wanted to try start getting the word out right away and have people starting to play the songs. So they at the time, they were publishing the songs that were in the show. And, and at the time, those songs were in the show. And we should say, just to pause for maybe some of our younger listeners, but in the early 1900s and mid-1900s, mm-hmm. You bought sheet music and played all the time. People probably played the piano. into the seventies. I mean, yeah, it was a very popular thing to go to the store, buy the hit, you know the songs that were playing on Broadway. Well, in the old days, music. in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds, they would have song pluggers who would be in the stores playing the songs that say, "Here, listen to this song." Oh, I like that song. I'll buy that. So I didn't know that. They, they were known as song pluggers. That was a big term back in the twenties, thirties. Um, so it's a, it was a big industry. I mean, that's why you go to like you go to thrift, you go to like flea marketing and all that, and you see piles and piles of sheet music. That's right. And there was, was also so another famous store called the Music Exchange, which was right near Actors Equity Building, um, and that had thousands of pieces of sheet music, really rare. Lillian Brown was the name of the lady who owned it, and it was around into the eighties and maybe even into the nineties, um, and you could get anything there. It was really re- it was overwhelming. You would walk in, and it would look like. A library. You'd, oh, see, wow. you'd feel overwhelmed walking in. I'm so curious. When a song like that would get cut, did then Rodgers and Hammerstein say, "Okay, we can't sell it anymore," or would they still? No, it would still be sold. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't. It, I, I, I think, as far as I know, I mean, it became that once it ran out of stock, they only published a certain amount of copies, especially out of town. If they knew they were going to republish the show once the first pressing comes out. They, they'll see if the show's name changed because over the years, I was showing Rob yesterday, a lot of shows had name changes and they would publish it under what they thought was the real name and then they changed the name and republish it. And as that inventory ended, they wouldn't replenish that, obviously, and, and then it would become a rare piece of sheet music like Away We Go that had a very small pressing. So whoever has those sheets, it's worth a lot of money because they didn't press that many. 
That's incredible. <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> and I would also emphasize that you said the largest. I never like to say I have the largest. I like to say I have one of the larger privately held collections of sheet music. Because once you say yours is the largest, somebody's going to come around and say mine's bigger than yours. So yeah, right. I like to <laughs> qualify that. Everybody's I mean, winning. But I will Everybody say, wins. <laughs> that's right. But I also say that I, I disguise chat often with Michael Feinstein and we're often trading music and saying, oh, do you have this? I have this. In fact, there was a musical called A Month of Sundays, which was the lyrics were by Bert Shevelov, who was kind of Sondheim's mentor, Sondheim's father figure. He was he was a great, he was, if you know, wrote the lyrics to um, A Funny Thing Happened the Way to the Forum. And uh, he wrote a show with Albert Selden. Albert Selden was one of the founders of Goodspeed, um, one of the producers of Men of La Mancha. And they wrote a show called A Month of Sundays that I think Nancy Walker was in. And I had the published sheets, but I didn't have much else from it. And Sondheim asked me whether I had this song from it. And the weirdest coincidence, like three weeks before that, Michael Feinstein said, look what I found. He sent me some manuscript stuff from Month of Sundays, including the song that Sondheim asked me about. So I sent it to Steve, and he wrote back and said, this has lyrics I didn't know existed. This is amazing. Thank you so much. I said, well, it's from Michael. He said, okay, thank you, Michael. So... That was kind of cool. It's a, it's a small, <laughs> tight-knit community. It well, you like love a, a, the, the, the lovers of the sheet it's music. It's true. And the excitement you feel when somebody asks for something and you have it. And you're yeah. like, oh, my God, I have that. Oh, I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. You know, because which often is the case. But uh, and then I get apoplectic when somebody asks for something. I, I don't have that. I don't know how to get that. And then you're so, like, I must get that then. <laughs> that becomes so, a holy grail. Completist, holy yeah. Grail. yeah. So I'm, so, I'm so curious. What is your holy grail? What is the one that is not in this filing cabinet? I don't have one at the moment. I mean, often it's the, the, the latest show... <clears throat> maybe the score to Anastasia, that, which I don't have a burning desire for because there are vocal selections for the Broadway production, but it's the new show that I don't have yet or bandstand. I have like one song, but you know, that's not even that big a holy grudge or something that would be nice to have because I like keeping up, keeping current and having the latest shows. Absolutely. But as I said, for years it was, it was Legs Diamond and then that one day just suddenly came into view. I remember I was the original musical director for the very first workshop of a class act, the show about it, Kleben. Yes, I love that When show. I did it, <laughs> it was about a fictional com- lyricist composer who wrote a show like Chorus Line that wasn't Chorus Line. And um, they still had the picture of Ed standing outside the Schubert, but it was supposedly not a Chorus Line. And Lonnie <laughs> did play the role, and Michael Shirali, um directed it at the time. Dee Hody was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, da- Daisy Prince was in it. Um, Peter Bartlett was in it. Great people. Mm-hmm. And um, we did it at Musical Theater Works. Um, and Wendy Wasserstein came and Eric Stern came. All these great people. Jonathan Tunick came. And they all said to Lonnie, you have to make it about the real Ed Kleban. But I remember um, uh, just it was, an, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. And I remember thinking these are songs that need to exist. I actually had a lot of Ed Kleban I was songs. just going to ask you Randomly, that. I had, I don't know where I got them, but I had some songs. So Linda Klein, who was Ed's girlfriend, right. came over here with Lonnie, and I loaned her a lot of my music, which I never got back. He wrote a whole musical about Bacchus, the god of wine. I've been very <coughs> um, giving in, in loaning things out, and I've got to stop that because I've lost so many things. Certainly, I, I have people sign my sheet music. When people are here who are involved with music, oh. I love signatures. I showed Rob that my Away We Go sheet music was signed by Celeste Holm and oh. Joan Roberts, the original Ado, Annie, and Laurie, who yeah. both died within two weeks of each other, they both the age of 95, a few years oh. ago. And George S. Irving, who was mm. a dear friend who lived right we down the street. We interviewed him uh, Yeah, he was a, he would, I used to coach him all the time and had a oh. wonderful time. Oh, he was awesome. He was in the original Special production man. of Oklahoma. Yes, yeah, we talked to him about so, it. Uh, yeah. It was so I love having things signed. It's one of the things I had. I had the sideshow selections signed by everybody, but a picture of of Norm Lewis like this going, and he wrote, "Norm wrote, looks like I'm masturbating, doesn't it?" And it really does. Everybody <laughs> was like, "Yes, it does." And then a picture of Bill Russell like this, and he said, "Michael, if you can help me get my hand unglued from my neck, I'd be I eternally grateful." Picture, yes. 
So I, it was uh, people signed. I mean, Emily Skinner, Alice Ripley, everybody yeah. signed the the, the, the the book, and it disappeared. I, th- I I thought maybe I loaned it to somebody who knew Henry Krieger was going to get Henry to sign it. But just one day I went, oh, it's not there anymore. I don't know where it is. So I have a lot of things like Terrence McNally wrote. Um, on my ragtime selections, he wrote "Fuck the Lion King," and on my full Monty section selections, he wrote "Fuck the Producers." Love Terrence McNally, but um, <laughs> but uh, and then Audra Audra wrote on my ragtime selections wrote uh, or Stokes wrote what Terrence said, and then Audra wrote "Lion King can suck my titties," and then oh my god, um, it was very funny. Or, or she used asterisks, but don't um, lose that one. That's a good one. But that's one. But, but I mean, I love getting signatures, and yeah. over the years, I've gotten to know. And become friends with a lot of wonderful Broadway composers and lyricists. And sometimes they come over here. Um, I've had Sheldon Harnick has been over here a number of times. And I've done several projects, including recording project stuff with him. And he signed everything in this book, in this apartment. I I was dear friends with Adolph Green. Uh, uh, Betty Comden lived in the building diagonally across from me where Ellen Sturm, you know who Ellen Sturm is? Yeah. As in Ellen Stardust Diner? Yeah. She lives in that building over there, and that's where Betty lived. And Adolph and I become friends. Well, actually, going back to 1985... I was doing a review. I went to college with a composer named Noel Katz. What was Noel, college? Uh, Columbia. I went to Columbia University. Columbia. Same class as Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Amazing. And also, I was also in college. My, my, at Barnard was um, my friend Janine Tesoriero, who became uh, yeah. Janine Tesori. Became Love Janine, Janine Levinson, then became Janine Tesori. Well, I've known her since she was 18, and we were I'm all in love with her. her. She was. We did. I had, took a musical theater class as a senior, where I was singing, and they said as a junior, and then I, I continued it. With uh, at Barnard, um, kind of musical theater workshop, we got up and read the wrote songs or sang them, and they said we need to hire a pianist. Let's get Janine. So I was, we would do forehand stuff, and I went out. I was a big fan of a musical called The Mooney Shapiro Songbook. Yes, yes. we've talked about we've this. Talked on about well, show. in London, it was a big success. It was called Songbook. Here it was called The Mooney Shapiro Songbook, uh, written by Monty Norman and Julian Moore, who wrote the theme to James Bond and uh-huh. Irma, Irma LaDuce. And it starred that great musical comedy star, Jeff Goldblum. And um, the other five, the other four members of the cast were Annie McGreevy, who used to be married to Bob Gunton, who was in The Magic Show originally. Yeah. Um, Judy Kay, uh, Gary Beach, and Timothy, <sighs> Timothy Jerome played... Mooney Shapiro. Mooney Shapiro's real name was Michael Mooney, and it's 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 a very the book is really witty. And I asked Sondheim about it, and he said because Hal Prince loved the show, and Sondheim was like, "Yeah, Hal really likes this. I don't think it's good, but I loved it because he wrote he took a fictional composer and wrote a side by side by Sondheim about this fictional composer. So when he was writing like Gershwin, when he was writing like Sondheim, yeah. and did pastiches of all these yeah. different. So I love the show so much from the original <clears throat> record. That I spent an entire summer before it opened on Broadway transcribing something I don't do. I don't have the patience for it, but I transcribed all the songs. That's love. In a That's book, real. And I would, could play all of them. And then I saw it on Broadway in preview twice because it, it only opened and closed the same night, but it previewed for a while. So I saw it twice in previews. Loved it. Um, it was even wittier and flashier. And Gary Beach was brilliant. Absolutely. Judy yeah. Kay had this wonderful song called Don't Play That Love Song Anymore, Sam. And, uh, I decided to do that in my show at Mark Columbia with Janine playing, and I got up to the stage and sang it and got back to the piano, and Janine looked at me, and that was amazing, and I went, because we were all in love with her. It was like, I couldn't even talk, whatever. And then when she won the, I've been playing pianist for the Outer Critics Circle Awards for 10, 15 years, and when she won for Fun Home a couple of years ago, I remember I was on the elevator with Oscar Eustace, and I introduced myself to him and told him that I'd gone to college with Janine, 
And she got up there and she said, you know, this is great. I remember they asked, they had, used to have these little cheese canopies here at Sardi's. She would talk about things. And she said, and, you know, Michael Levine is here. And I grew up with him. And I was like, oh, my God, she did a shout out to me. I was like yeah. crying. And it was made my day. That's but, really special. But then in 85, one of my other college friends, Noel Katz, who's married to Joy Doing, who's big casting director. Yes, yes, of yes. The Joy's about, they're about to move to L.A. because she's been made the head of, I think, Disney or something. Good casting. That's great. Um, uh, he wrote, he was a composer, a friend of mine. It was going to be my roommate, but it got mixed up and we did, it wasn't. And then when I auditioned for the original Broadway production of Merrily We Roll Along, if you've seen The Best Worst Thing That Happened. Oh, yes. oh yeah. He helped edit so it. So yeah. you, then may, perhaps you remember my audition. In which which I, one was I, yours? I'm the first one. I'm the one singing Johnny One Note. Oh, yeah. And um, so I go watch it again. Yes. So yes. I mean, Jen told me. I said, "Well, I I didn't know because except I went to the film festival screening of it around a year ago, and before that, Lonnie had needed something from me, uh, Lonnie Price, uh, a Sibelius person or something, and he said, "Oh, by the way, you're in the movie." And I thought, "Well, it can't be my audition." But, but I got up at seven o'clock in the morning, went to the Minskoff rehearsal studios in the Minskoff building, which aren't there anymore, and. And I remember uh, Sondheim. I knew I've known Sondheim since I was eighteen. I wrote. You can always write him letters. Right. And I decided to write him letters, and we started writing back and forth to each other. And I became friendly with him. And he said, "If there's ever I have around one hundred, literally over a hundred letters from him, and like in, in books and stuff." And he said, "If there's one audition show you should audition for, you should audition for Merrily Rolling." My first letter from him says, "We're casting entirely with kids ages twelve to 16. And then they went a little older. And he said, "This is a show you have to audition for. It's perfect for you." Mm. I was like, "Okay," because at the time I was an actor. Yeah. So. I, he called the night before. He said, "What are you going to sing?" And I went, "Johnny One Note." And I heard silence. He went, "Oh." And I didn't think if I knew now, knew then what I know now. But you know, I went in, got there at seven o'clock in the morning, signed up. I could have been number one because nobody. This was a non-equity open call. But I was like, mm, "I'll put myself number seven. And then my friend Robin Morris, the daughter of Bobby Morris, uh, I went to summer camp with her. She. She said, why didn't you sign me up? I said, I don't know, I'm sorry. And she was with us, and she got cast, but then she got, merrily got postponed six months, and she was cast as Donald O'Connor and Cheetah Rivera's daughter in <gasps> Bring, Back, Bring Birdie. Back Birdie. And they, she said, but I want to do the Sondheim show. I don't want to do... They said, no, that's been postponed. you got to do this, and that run ran... Oops. Uh, four performances, less than Ooh, merrily. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's what she was known for. But but lot, she's a wonderful acting teacher now. But... um. I got there and I stood online. They typed, they typed, they, they typed me in because I was 18, 19, and I sang my Johnny One Note. And you can hear Paul Gemignani. What you don't hear is Gemignani stops me and says, "Okay, go to the end." And I went, "Sing Johnny One Note out loud." I went up high, which you're not supposed to, because it's supposed to be the point that he could only sing one note. <laughs> but whatever. But they said thank you, and I knew I didn't get called back. But I had a great time, and everybody was all sometimes other friends were calling him and saying, "I'm number 1300. You have to get me a private audition." I called and said I had a good time. I didn't get called back. He was like, "Thank you for not like." Asking me to right, get right, right, right. Oh, so pushing. That's so sweet. And it was a wonderful experience, and and that, and then I'm in the movie now. You can see me in the that movie. Is wild. We'll keep an eye out, and we'll post some of that footage. Oh, yeah, yeah, we will. See it. It's literally to go a couple of years later. I'd become friendly with Arthur Siegel, who wrote a lot of the New Faces reviews yes. with June Carroll. Yeah, Arthur lived in the same building that Betty Comden lived right over there, and Arthur had been collecting since he was 12 years old. And we would compare notes and trade. Steve Ross, the great cabaret pianist singer, would come over here with Arthur and Roger Sturdivant, a wonderful casting director who's mm. passed away. Mm -hmm. And we would sit there trading music. Oh, you have this. Can I have that? And um, I would loan stuff to Arthur. And I loaned him all the Snow White songs he wanted for some project. And I loved Arthur. And I remember I did several shows in London. I was doing, I did a show called Whoop-de-doo that played off Broadway here in, for a couple of years. And then Cameron McIntosh gave Dan Crawford around the King's Head in London 25,000 pounds and said, would you like to do it? And Philip George, who directed many 
Forbidden Broadways, was, was directed whoop de doo there, here and there, and couldn't find a musical director he liked. He said, do you want to come to London? I was like, sure. So that led to a career doing four shows at the King's Head. I was kind of the resident musical director right. from 94, 95, 96, 97. I did a Flatters and Swan review, did a complete tour of the UK with Noel Cowher's Cavalcade, hmm. and then did a show called Listen to the Wind, which was by Vivian Ellis, who was a contemporary of Gershwin, wrote Mr. Cinders, if you know that musical. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Vivian, it was right before he died, and he became a champion of mine. We made a CD at Abbey Road. It was an great, incredible wow. experience doing these shows. But... Uh, when I, I remember I got back from whoop, doing whoop de doo the first one, or the Flanders and Swan Review, and I was I called Arthur, but because I wanted a copy of Take Off the Mask, one of the songs that wasn't published from one of the new faces, but he hadn't called me back, and I found out he'd passed away. Oh. He was 70 oh. years old. So Brian Gary, the grandson of Eddie Cantor, um, who wrote a musical called Late Night, Late Night Comic, Comic. Which was very good, No yeah. Flies on You, and uh, which which starred had a, a girl in the ensemble named Kim Freshwater. Uh -huh. Kim was my my next door neighbor when I lived in the East Side, and Kim went back to her real name, Lubitsa Gregus, but then oh. she shortened Lubitsa Gregus to Luba Mason, oh where God. you may know her. So I've never, we all, whenever we say, I go, Kim Freshwater, and that's her actual email, <laughs> but uh, it's great. So, so Brian Gary was in charge of the estate because his mother was best friends with Arthur, and I went over to get my music, and he just casually said, would you be interested in buying the collection and I, and I was with my friend Roger and, and he'd been as I said people like Julie Stein and Richard Rogers would give him music when it came out when they first wrote it so he had it was so I first they offered for like a ridiculously high amount that I couldn't afford then Arthur's uh, no Ed Schloss a, a Broadway theater producer decided to split it with me and I only I paid not only did I only pay two thousand dollars but I paid it over I paid $100 a month for 20 months to Arthur's brother Eddie in Florida and really? I got and that took an entire day of bringing file cabinets over here to this apartment that's how my music collection first became world class lots of I, I'm very acquisitive so I inherit a lot of other collections my mentor for many years was Peter Howard who wrote the dance Great. music to yes. dance arranger Chicago and sometimes music director 1776 and many many conducted yeah. many many shows uh, and in fact he's the one who discovered Betty Buckley who was at Prince of Broadway last night yeah. um, and uh and I learned so much from Peter. He, 25 years ago, it'll be 25 years next year, uh, he and Bayark Lee and I went to Italy with a production of Cabaret, Perché Palo Italiano. So I went uh, to Cabaret. I was his assistante musicale. Oh, my God. And I have the whole score in Italian. Che cosa fa? tutto la giovani, l'orchestra. And we did the show Italian for Is that how you first months. met Peter Howard? I was playing at a bar called the Five Oaks, which is next to the duplex mm -hmm. down from the, on, on Grove Street around 25 years ago, almost exactly 25 years just play. I subbed for Marie Blake, this wonderful big black pianist who's been playing there for had been playing there for forty years since uh -huh. the fifties, and she was out. And Peter was there with Robin Field. If you remember Doherty and Field were this wonderful cabaret du duo. Robin Field and Bill Doherty did cabaret. I did like they put words to Rhapsody in Blue. They were brilliant. And Peter oh, was wow. with Robin, and he. I'd met him over the years through. I had a friend Robert Cher, Robert the record producer, mm -hmm. um, who who is I've known since Bring Back Birdie since yeah. the session. Yeah. I was taking a course with Lee Adams at the time at Columbia on musical theater, and I went to Bring Back Birdie every week. We, really, we would, we would buy five dollars standing room, and they don't have standing rooms. So they would seat us. So you and, loved that show, didn't you? Well, I can. I don't know if I loved it, but I can. I can sing any song from it. That's I know right. It really, we talked really about really it on our, our show yes. before. We, I mean, we, I talked with Steve McCaslin about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Lot, and uh, I'm sorry. Fascinated. Yes, but go ahead. Yeah. But uh, so we, uh, where was I? Peter, I, I was, oh, oh uh, we're asking how you met Peter. And so then I was playing at this piano bar. And uh, so Peter and Peter said, oh, you're very good. Uh, we knew each other. He, I'd seen Stardust, the musical of, the, of Le Mitchell yes. Parish that he conducted at, uh, at, at Kennedy Center. 
And uh, he did. He was a conductor. I mean, he wrote a lot of dance oh, yeah. music, like things like Chicago Cabaret, uh, Chicago Annie, Barnum, Baby, oh, yeah. Carnival. I mean, tons of shows. But he also conducted a lot of those right. shows. He took over as Hello Dolly. He wrote the dance music to Hello Dolly, but is not credited in this revival. And yet it's his work. It's crazy. They credit David Chase, which is ridiculous. Yes, I was. And Larry Hockman is actually who orchestrated. Is kind of mortified that I think Phil Lang, whoever the original orchestrator, is not listed. He was gone. He has gone. He said, "I'm using a lot of the original work." Yeah. As is David Chase. The They've gone to Scott Rudin and Scott. Oh yeah, we should do a page, and, but he never has. So. Here's a shout out to Peter Howard. He wrote the dance music to, and conducted most of the run. He left, the, the original conductor left pretty early. So Peter and I, he took me, he said, I'm doing, and I practiced, I played the score for him, and he said, well, you gotta work on your left hand. So I, I was doing a show called No Way to Treat a Lady down in Florida, and I rented a piano and practiced that cabaret score every day for like two months, came back, and Peter was like, ooh, good, okay, you can be my assistant. And uh, I learned so much from him over the years, and we, right. we did a lot. We did a Rogers and Hart show together with Julie Wilson in Florida. Julie left and was replaced by Mimi Hines, and we did it at the Kennedy Center with Mimi, who became a dear, is still a dear friend. I love her. She lives in Vegas. And Can we talk about great. her a little bit? I mean, like, she... she the great was, Mimi the, Hines. Yeah. I mean, I love her, and I became friendly with Mark Sendroff, because Mark's good friends with Mimi, and loves him. her. Yes. And uh, and Mark came to see whoop de doo in London with Todd Graff. They went together to see that. And the Graff family has become a friend, friends over the years. I used to coach Nika Graff Lanzaroni when she was right out of college. I've done, just did a recording with Randy. Randy and Randy's my theater going buddy. We see theater together. She was one of our first interviews. Well, we went to see Present Laughter and I saw John Cantor and Albert Stevenson there. And we, I have a picture of the four of us together. We just, I've known John since, since I went to see Sweeney Todd at, in Boston when it started the tour. And I knew Sondheim, he arranged house seats, and he was like at the theater. We walked in, he was there, and oh, welcome, Michael. I was like, wow, Sondheim welcoming us into the theater. And he was on one side, I was on the other side of the orchestra. And I go back, and there was a show trying out called Woman of the Year, but well, you're about to present it. And I decided, my friend and I went up to the stage door and said, and they said, well, we're having a dress rehearsal tonight. Like, when you come by around seven, they canceled the invited dress, and we showed up, and we said, we came all the way from New York. He said, I'm going to slip you in. So we went up to the, the mezzanine. We are the only ones in the mezzanine. At the inter inter intermission, I go downstairs. There's this guy with a box of donuts. And he said, do you want a donut? I said, yes, Mr. Candor, thank you. And um, I, so I wrote him a letter. And I didn't hear a thing back. And then months later when the show, and I went to opening night. So I was there the night to hear, I'm the woman. And then you hear Ethel Merman go, Jesus, you know. You, so that is a true it story. Is, we, talked to Leroy, we talked to Leroy, who sat with her, and he told us the whole story. But to know it from another angle. I was there. You were there. I didn't remember and, and hearing it. And should be told in under 30 seconds. Exactly. Also <laughs> oh, of course, Leroy can go on, I know. I'm just trying to get as much in as I can. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I, I, was, I, I finally got a letter back saying, oh, now that the show's a hit, I can write back to you. Thank you for your letter. And I have, again, a handful of letters from John over the years. And again, the sweetest man in show business, the nicest, nicest yes. guy. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little pause here if I can. We're going to actually do a merrily. We're going to jump back in time with you for a second. Were your parents supportive of you pursuing a career in this industry, sure. My dad was a a, a clarinetist and saxophonist in the big bands in the nineteen forties. Oh, wow. He was, I mean, not not like well known big band, something in Massachusetts, but people you'd kind of know. And uh, he ended up working for the government for the Federal Trade Commission. But they were certainly supportive. My mother was a pianist. My sister played guitar. So we were a very musical family. My cousin 
who just passed away. Her name was Barbara Carroll, one of the great jazz pianists mm-hmm. of the world. She was in the original cast of Me and Juliet. Huh? She played at Birdland every week for many, oh, many years. Yes. Barbara Carroll, yes, very famous. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Uh, Bethesda, Maryland. Uh-huh. But I was born in New York City, and I grew up coming to New York in the 60s and so 70s. this was like home for you. This was home, and yeah. when I was 18, I moved here. So 18? Here for college, yeah, course, for Columbia. Columbia. What was the first Broadway show you saw? The All Black Guys and Dolls in 76, yes. and followed by um, Magic Show. Wow. Uh, so when I just saw Ricky Ritzel just presented an evening of three musicals at Don't Tell Mamas, it was uh, Ragtime, Magic Show, and something else with Christine Zabornik and Jay Rogers, great people. And they did Magic Show, and I was like a solid silver platform shoes. I was like, oh, I remember these songs, God. Oh, yeah. It was a show. And the vocal selections contained a dodecahedron, some kind of little magic trick that yes. you in the vocal selection. So I have those vocal selections. What? Really? Yeah, I remember. I I found that once. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Like a little, like you can play with it. Like it's right. like a little, like like interactive thing. Yeah. Next oh, time that's you talk really to Stephen cool. Schwartz, ask him about that. I will. Yeah. That's really. And really another cool. song. Speaking speaking of intriguing songs that you probably don't know ever existed, but you will know what they are Every, because just they. So you're, Michael keeps standing up to go to these filing cabinets, and it's literally like Willy Wonka's toy factory. <laughs> like you don't know what's going like, to come out. So next. this is called the Good Time Ladies Rag, Pippin, and it. it's it's. Uh, hey, Michael Stephen Schwartz. I um, love it. Signed, and it, it, you, when you hear the music, you'll know what it is because the music is um, lists and Mister. Don't you hear them playing the Good Time Ladies Rag? So it wasn't a song. So, but when they had the music, Ben Vereen went to Stephen Stephen and said. Can I sing that song? And Stephen said, there are no lyrics. He said, well, will you write lyrics? He went, okay. So he wrote lyrics, and that's the Good Time Ladies Rag. So I actually have two copies of it. Oh, oh my goodness. God. So that's, that's a pretty rare... That, so they decided to publish it for some strange reason, as obscure as obscure goes. Now, I showed Rob this yesterday, but you might get a kick out of this, Kevin. This All right, is, this is This is, this is the 18-year-old Stephen Sondheim, <gasps> a show called Finney's, Finney's Rainbow, Rainbow, P-H-I-N-N-E-Y-S. Oh, the, the title well, song is College Presents. The ti- the, this is his homage to Irving Berlin, and it's a really amusing song. I should probably do it for you guys. Finney's yeah. Rainbow is pretty terrible, but oh uh, I think even Steve would right. admit wanna, that it's not. We're going to hold the hour. mic for Michael while he plays. Yeah, this this is called How Do I Know, and it's his homage to uh, Irving Berlin. Okay. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Written by a 17-year-old Stephen Sondheim. 17-year-old Stephen Sondheim. Yes. My problems are giving me indigestion That can't be answered in only one word Why should I love you? That's a good question That's the best question that I ever heard With questions of love, I simply drip But if you really want a good one Here's a piff 
How do I know that I know I know when I really don't know you? <laughs> How can I have the heart to do what my heart tells me to do? Why do I feel just the way I always feel when my feelings will never show? said goodbye when I said hello and I asked you when and you said I wouldn't know <laughs> but how will I know when I know that you said no I just don't know oh how incredible is my that? goodness uh, my voice uh, wasn't uh, so uh, shot but no <laughs> Um, uh, uh, so that's uh, an intriguing uh, uh, little homage to. Now he did something like that in a song that amazing. was cut from Forum called the Echo Song. You ever heard of the Echo Song? I've heard of it, but I've not uh, heard the Echo Song. And it does the same thing with 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 a lot of homonyms. Sondheim, you know, being clever. Oh with yeah, homonyms. a lot of wordplay. Which reminds me of a song that I actually sent Sondheim and he loved by a guy named Bill Solly. You know Bill Solly? Uh, no, I Bill, don't. Bill's still around. He's around eighty-five. He lives right above Don't Tell Mamas. Um, he wrote a musical called Boy Meets Boy in 1975. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Musical that had a big success in London a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, And he wrote a song called The World's in Rhyme, which is nothing but, and I've sung this song to Sheldon Harnick, Hugh Martin, Adolph Green, Sondheim. Um, it's like, I'm in love and the world's in rhyme. It's amazing. The rhymes I find, the entire song is all half rhymes. Oh, my gosh. Not real <laughs> rhymes, which sadly, in today's state of rock songs and things that don't rhyme, people go, that's a cute song. I go, you don't no. understand. It's brilliant. It's, brilliant. And it's so hard to write a song like that. And Sondheim recognized that and said, this is brilliant. A Adolph was like, or Hugh Martin said, oh, it hurts, it hurts. <laughs> so, so I was dear friends with Hugh Martin, who wrote, Clang, 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 went the trolley, boy. Yes. yes. Merry little Christmas and all that. Celebrate he that. lived, uh, Bruce Pomahack, who was an orchestrator at Rogers and Hammerstein. Yes, of course. was a dear, dear friend from 1980. Oh, by the way, I was a pianist on 1980 on Fly With Me. Fly With Me was the varsity show that Rogers and Hart wrote in 1920. In 1980, they did a revival of it. And uh, I was like playing for somebody's audition. I didn't actually... I should have auditioned for the show. Immodestly, I would have gotten in it because they wanted people for who were at the college. Yeah. But I decided, instead, I played piano, played rehearsals, got four points and an A-plus in production workshop. That got me on the dean's list one time. And um, and I went to opening night, sat near Lonnie Price, right next to Mrs. Rogers. Rogers died. Richard Rogers died right before they started auditions. Yeah. Um, but... Bruce Pomahack was the orchestrator, and, and whenever Bruce would come in, everybody would go, oh, Bruce Pomahack, be in your best behavior. But he, we had a mutual friend, and we went out to lunch together back then. He lived in Manhattan Plaza, and he's now moved to uh, Indianapolis, somewhere okay. out west, Midwest. And um, he said, well, if you ever want to meet Hugh Martin, I said, did you say if I ever what? He said, well, if you're going to be in California, now it's a drive from L.A. down to Encinitas, which is right near La Jolla. I said, I'll do that drive. So around 25 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, somewhere around then, I went down and met him. We fell in love with each other. He was this genteel man from Alabama. Mm -hmm. He called me and said, hi, Michael, how are you? And I go, Hugh, I love you, because I love so many of his songs, not just the other stuff you don't know from Make a Wish, Look, Mom, Dancing. He's a and real songwriter, songwriter, I mean, lover. I mean, like a musical mm. theater aficionado really appreciates his work in a way that I know a lot of people that just say, oh, Humor. Nobody like you. He's and if you know really Sondheim, special. Sondheim's a big fan of Hughes. Yes. And there's a wonderful song that was on Sondheim's list of songs he wished he'd written called I Want to Be Good and Bad. It was sung originally by Nanette Fabre. I want to be good, good and bad. Yes, of course. That's it, right. Yes. 
And I was a big fan of the song already. And then Sondheim listed it on his thing. And then when I went to Hughes, when I first went to Hughes, he still had all the music. He was staying, he looked like a bag man in 1979. He went to a church in Encinitas and these, this couple saw him and said, can we give you a ride somewhere? They had no idea who he was because he, he looked slovenly and right. didn't really take care of it. And they, and they took him under his wing, Elaine and Fred Harrison. They took him, put him in his house until he died. He lived with them until he wow. died seven years ago at the age of 96. And uh, he... Uh, he had all his music there in boxes. So the first couple of times I went there, I would go and get the Make-A-Wish box, and I found a reprise of I Want a Good and Bad that's not on the record that nobody knew, and I, I sent it to Sondheim. Sondheim was, oh, such happy-making lyrics. I had the letter from him where he was so happy that because it's really, again, the clever yeah. rhyme upon rhyme upon rhyme, brilliant writing. You need to learn that song. It's a great song. Who do you think, maybe it is humor, but who do you think is the most underrated composer in the musical theater canon? I'd probably go with you. People who know you, like Michael Feinstein, who was friends with him also and did a CD with him, know how great he is, but I think most people don't. And when I bring him up, people know The Boy Next Door, Trolley Song, and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, but they don't really know the stuff from Best Foot Forward. Martin and Blaine, because theoretically he wrote with Ralph Blaine, but the secret of it is that they would show up every day and say, what'd you write? And how Ralph Blaine would say, I wrote Buckle Down Winsaki. And, right. and then he was like, well, I wrote The Boy Next Door. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. And then, but he always gave him credit. He always shared it which, with him. An, which, sadly, Ralph tried to take credit back and claimed he wrote all these songs that he wrote by himself before he died. And he was like, that wasn't very That's nice of Ralph. True. And he made him very upset. But also the Martins was a very close harmony group. I was just going to say, they brought, they, didn't they bring the, like, Sing for Your Supper? They brought Well, that these, was Hugh's arrangement. Right. And but, they, but he, well, Hugh brought these jazz vocal stylings that had never really been heard before on Broadway. I would, you know, in It's the, true. In that and, sense. and he wrote for Rogers and Cole Porter and all the, all the great, yeah. great, great songwriters. And he was Judy Garland's personal vocal coach at his own dressing room at the palace and and then he would coach me i would sing for him at his house saying so craig and i are working on a project i've been doing a, a recording project for the past few years 10 years with bruce yako the recording record producer we went to his house to interview him yeah um I, i'm not really working with bruce anymore kind of doing it on my own but we we Good. started this project called lost broadway and more yes yes I have some, some of those some of he CDs, gave us some yes. of those cds when we were there Ron yeah musically erected most of them yes the third one we did as a Review. We called it Michael Levine and Friends, which is what I called the show I did at 54 yes. Below. Um, and I opened with an overture. The overture is a instrumental version of Thank You for Coming, a cut song from Merrily Roll Along. You should do that song. Oh, and at man. the end of the CD, I sing that song, actually. I got Christine Petty, who's one of my oldest friends, just had a long talk with her on the phone last mm -hmm. night. She found a song that was cut from Take Me Along, how obscure is this, called If Jesus Don't Love You, Jack Daniels Will. What? And it's on this CD. It's on the volume three. And with me, Christine, Michelle Ragusa, a wonderful performer, oh, yeah. and the lovely and talented Sheldon Harnick. Huh. Sheldon, uh, Christine was good friends with Sheldon and said, Sheldon, can you come up with five songs you want us to record for this project? So Sheldon came out and he was over here and we said, we have this other thing. He said, I'll do it with you. I said, okay. So I'm singing harmony with, with Sheldon at the studio and it was amazing. So... Sheldon picked a song called A Butcher's Soul, which is a cut Laser Wolf song, and he recorded that for us around, God, years ago, but he was still 90, I think, or 85, whatever. And then we got, there was a song called You Could Have the Richest Man in Town, which is a cut Model Comes Oil song. And I was going to record it and sing it myself, 
but I was at John Simon's 85th birthday party maybe seven years ago, and it was true, a little restaurant that William Ivy Long designed called Shul Brands down on 2nd Avenue and 12th Street, and literally, if a bomb went off, no more musical theater. Everywhere you look, from Donna <laughs> McKechnie to Penny Fuller to Michael John LaCusa to Michael Riedel to Tommy Toon and Jack O'Brien, every, every other person was the most famous person in the musical theater world. And I see Austin Pendleton, the original model. Of course. So I go up to Austin, start chatting with him, and he, I told him about the song. And he looked at me and went, I could sing it. I went, really? So he came over. He sat right where you're sitting. You know, he say, stood up here, and Sheldon was sitting there coaching him. Sheldon was like, it's like davening. You yeah. could have the richest man in town. <laughs> and Austin was like, I got it. Do you, um, do you actually, can, can you go to these composers and lyricists and say, hey, listen, I'm looking for these cut songs from Fiddler, Sheldon Harnick. Do you have them? I have. I had a lot of them because I've spent a lot of time at the Library of Congress Mm. Being from Mark Bethesda, Horowitz, isn't he? No. Well, Mark is one of my yeah. best friends, oldest friends, and closest yeah. friends. My, uh, when I was in 1986, uh, in 1985, there was a guy named Jeffrey Bernstein who was a copyright attorney, old friend of mine, musical theater aficionado, living in D.C. He told us to come to the Madison Building, took us around there, and we would go up to the other floor, the copyright floor, and he would show us the original copyrights for the songs from Hello Dolly that were not written by Jerry Herman, showing Bob Merrill's name or Strauss and Adams' names with all you know proof that Jerry didn't wow. write those. And then I remember being at the Xerox machine, and, the, and the, next, the other guy at the Xerox machine was Mark. He was working at Arena Stage at the time and in computers, and we became really close friends. And then when I went out to the old Globe to see if the shoe fits... Um, Mark went with me, and we stayed in a motel. We went to the opening night party. We went on opening night. We went to the party because Kim Crosby got us at yeah. the party, and we became really close friends. Then three years later, they were doing Merrily Roll along at Arena, and Mark got a job as Sondheim's assistant on it. And he was a big Sondheim fan. He's become a major scholar of Sondheim. Right. In fact, Sondheim called, wrote to five people when he was writing, finishing the hat, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. look, I made a hat. And they were Mike Nichols, Jack Feldman. Somebody, somebody, and Mark. And and Mark would tell me, well, he wrote this, he said this, I suggested this. And Mark, and Sondheim really respects Mark. Um, so when, when they did, I went to the closing of Passion with Mark, and <clears throat> Peter Howard went with us, and he got us into the party, the closing night party. And Son, Mark walked into the door, and Sondheim was all the way at the other end at Gallagher's, and went, oh my God, Mark, come here, come here. He was so excited, oh. showing Mark off to the other cast members, saying, Mark had, because Mark will have you into a room at the Library of Congress, and find out who your favorite composers are, like Gershwin or Kern or something, and have a, an entire table full of manuscripts of that composer, which he did with Sondheim, wow. and and he did with Lin Manuel Miranda, Craig, etc. And um, so it was, it was a really, really great cool. experience. So I love this this recording project I've been doing has been really exciting to record songs that have ideally ostensibly that have never been recorded before from Broadway musicals. It's led to a lot of cut songs, a lot of songs that from shows that never made it in. Yeah. We've riffed into all kinds of, and we oh. wanted to thematically, I've used a lot of Leah Horowitz. Leah Horowitz, the wonderful I soprano from well, yes. Follies, dear friend. She's been done a lot of recording for me um, on these albums. Yeah. In fact, so the latest one, Craig Carnelia is a good friend. We decided to do one of all Marvin Hamlish. Terry Hamlish gave us blanket permission, let me go to uh, uh, the his copyist for many years in L.A., 
uh, and and basically play supermarket sweep and just copy anything I wanted. Yeah. And I made a pile this big, and for like $100, they scanned it all in for me and sent me all the music. So Craig and I sang through it all. We recorded a bunch of things from the Carolyn Lee version of Smile. If you know the musical Smile... We just celebrated it. We were just talking our, about that podcast. on our podcast, yeah. Because there it. was an entire score written, and then she died, and they wrote right. a whole new score. And we've recorded a bunch of those songs. Daisy Carnelia, Craig's daughter, sang one. Randy Graff sang another. Um... Oh, Hayden wait. T, Hayden T, the brilliant Australian who played Javert recently on Broadway and Limes, uh, sang one. Um, wow. um, we've, uh, it's a lot of Craig's material because we have several cut songs. Kelly O'Hara has recorded two cut songs from Sweet Smell of Success. Nancy Opal recorded another one. She is friggin' amazing. A song called Us and Them. They wrote a song for the character of the secretary that mm-hmm. Joanna Glushak played. And at yeah. the very first rehearsal, they played it for Nick Heitner and he went, oh, that character doesn't sing and just dismissed it. And they were like, Okay, and it's this amazing, exciting song. When you hear this song, what way do you hear this? These cut songs. You probably know that's how I say goodbye because Kelly sings it at the the hat. But the other two are great. A different world, and this one. And then we we did a bunch of songs. Probably it's almost like a mini cast album of of imaginary friends that starred those great musical comedy stars, Cherry Jones and Swizzy Kurtz. (laughs) Um, It was like a half musical, right? Right. Well, (laughs) it was a much more of a musical. But Nora Ephron kept saying, "No, cut that song. Cut that song." So they weren't thrilled with. Nora, but um, the songs are great, and uh, we've actually got a bunch of demos, I think four or five demos of Marvin and Craig singing and Marvin oh, playing. Man. We decided to put those on the CD because I love having composers. We have Marissa McGowan, the original romantic She's lead. She's one of my in, best friends. Well, yes. she recorded her. She recorded While I Still Have the Time from Nutty Professor. Yeah. And then... She was the lead in all of that, yeah. And then... I'm the last song that is has to be recorded when I get back from Australia, where I'm going tomorrow to teach for three weeks. As soon as I get back, I'm getting Clea Blackhurst to do her big number, uh, "Step Out of Your Shell." Because I went down to Nashville to see the show, and I was there three days after Marvin died, and yeah. went up to Terry and told her I played for Craig. She grabbed me and gave me a big hug. Mm-hmm. I told her I wanted to record all this Marvin stuff. She grabbed me and gave me another big hug. So she's this very, very sweet and very supportive. Wow. And we've done a lot of other stuff with this Marvin, Tony Sheldon, the Australian of from yeah using him, um, very dear friend for many years, and he recorded a song written by Marvin Hamlish and Tim Rice, the only time I think they ever wrote together, from a television musical of the early 70s of The Entertainer, of John Osborne's The Entertainer, starring, starring Jack Lemmon. It's called The Only Way to Go. It was actually sung a lot by George Burns, and you can see a YouTube of George Burns singing it. Actually, Sheldon did, Tony Sheldon did a lot of research, and he found a recording of Bing Crosby and somebody else singing it, so it's been oh, done. Wow. But we're gonna, we put it, Tony recorded wow. it and did a great job on that. And uh, when, when yes, oh, yeah, it was the same question. <laughs> we're like, like, when, when can we get when, that when CD? When when it we, well, we're 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 most of the songs have been mixed. I'm going to a session. I, I have one coaching after you guys today that I'm going down a recording session for three hours to mix and master, finish, start mastering it. We don't want to f- really get too much into mastering because we're still adding that one CD. We're seeing one song that Clea is going to do from Muddy Professor, but we're hoping. Uh, I mean, we're hoping a, a big record company will pick it up because I've paid for this entirely myself. Right. Craig oh, wow. doesn't have the right. money, so I'm hoping I'll, somebody will pick it up and I'll make a little money back. If I don't, it's, 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 I love, I'm very proud of this CD. Yeah. 20 <laughs> years ago, 21 years ago, I did Carmelina, Carmelina musical by Yes, yeah, so I wanted to talk Lerner about Burton Lane. Yes. And Burton Lane. And I did it at the York, at their mm-hmm. Mufti series. Mm-hmm. And we started Debbie mm-hmm. Gravitt, and Debbie, she was Debbie Shapiro Gravitt then, hadn't quite dropped the yes, Shapiro. The, the name's changed. And, uh, <laughs> and PJ Benjamin. And uh, it was a great experience. And Burton was around, and he became a champion of mine. And when I'd run into him, his wife would go, This is the guy who did Carmelina. Oh, yes, you're very good. I was like, Thank you. And I went over to his apartment. Because I, I played, before that, I'd played a party after a concert of his work at Town Hall. And I had some really obscure film music, and I started playing it, and he was like, 
I wrote that song. Mm. Sheldon, come here. And you brought Sheldon Harnick over to the piano. Can I get copies of those? I said, yes. Will you sign some sheet music if I bring it? He said, absolutely. So I went to his apartment. He signed all my music. I gave him copies of the music, which Ken Bloom said, I'd given him those songs. I said, okay, whatever. (laughs) But but, so I I loved the experience with Carmelina. It was great. And Barry Harmon, who wrote Romance, Romance, was writing new lyrics because Sheldon, uh, Ellen J. Lerner, had problems with the Carmelina. So Alan uh, Barry wrote seven new songs, and right on his deathbed, mm-hmm. Alan J. Lerner heard them and said, that solved a problem. He started crying because he oh, solved wow. a problem. And they're good songs. I mean, Alan J. Lerner's songs are great, I too. Lo- I love the music, um, though. I think yeah. that the So we revised it. They did it again at the York many years later. They were hoping it would be done at Goodspeed or something. We ended up doing it as a as a concert at the... at not a concert, as a backers audition at Hudson Guild. Yeah. And they gave me the wrong time. Barry Levitt, a musical director, was supposed to do it, and he got busy, and he backed out, and so I came in. And then Barry was going to play it, but Barry's more of a jazz pianist, and he called me sheepishly and said, I, I've, they asked, they, they're, they're mutinying, I have, you have to come in. I was like, because I knew the show backwards and forwards, right. and I was sight transposing stuff and stuff. Oh, wow. So I was ready to go, but I, they, he, told, he told he told me it was an 8 o'clock performance. So I was in the middle of coaching. It was the days of the answering machine. I see the light blinking. I'm like, we're here. Where are you? It's supposed to start at six o'clock. I went, Oh, you're kidding. So I got in a cab and literally ran in with an audience that included Candor and Ebb and Burton and every oh. famous musical theater person in the world in the audience, little audience. I was like, Oh my God, I was rushing in to get there in time. I was so over it. But oh, that's man. okay. But it was great. And Debbie still remained a friend because two years after that, the director, B.T. McNichol, oh, yeah. came to me and said, And we had done, I had musically directed his show, The It Girl, uh, down in Blowing Rock, mm-hmm. North Carolina. And we were doing a lot of stuff together. He said, I want to do Billion Dollar Baby, which is represented in Jerome Robbins Broadway with the Charleston. And he said, I have the score. I'd like to, you know, do, use some, rehearse a little earlier than we're supposed to with some choreography with Marcus Pizzito choreographed, mm-hmm. who was in Jerome Robbins Broadway doing race directing. And um, I remember we, we, so I was friends with Kristen Chenoweth. And he said, I really want to go to Kristen for it. And I left her a message. She said, well, Michael, I don't really audition for readings anymore. This was before Charlie Brown, but after Steel Pier. Right. Okay. So people knew who she was, but she right. wasn't ready to audition for readings. And I said, and BT said, well, I need, I don't know who she is. And luckily, Jerry Zachs, who was BT's mentor, said, you let, he'd heard about her. I said, right. you let Kristen Chenoweth go. You'll be making the mistake of your career. So he called me begrudgingly and said, Tell her she can be in the show. And she said, can my boyfriend Mark Kudish be in it too? So Mark and Kristen played opposite each other. You can hear the CD. There's a CD. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Um, and we had Richard B. Schull, a wonderful old character yes. actor who was a pleasure to work with. And I'd been coaching him, and he was great in the show. And we had in the chorus, I remember we needed one more chorus voice. We were seeing some kids, and this guy came in and sang... Um, uh, I go for that. This great Frank Lesser, Matt Malnick song. Um, you're, you play the uke. You're from Dubuque. I go for that. Great song. <laughs> so we cast little Casey Nicola in the show. And I don't know what yeah. ever happened to him, but he's very talented. Yeah, um, but uh, And I used to coach Casey back then. I remember he was, he, I loved him. He was so sweet. And, um, and we had a great, great cast because it was Charlie Pistone, Michael McCormick. Oh, uh, a good really group. wonderful, good wonderful people. Do you enjoy the process of finding material for specific performers? Sure, that's. I mean, that's theoretically what I'm known. I mean, I'm theoretically I'm known for this big sheet music collection, but, but I think that extends to coaching. And I think my talent as a coach lies more in working with people on the acting of their songs. I think that's my mm-hmm. what I go around the world 
doing, coaching people, saying, I don't believe you, you're thinking about your date tonight, you're thinking about your laundry, you're not tapped into the audition, you're not, right. you're not choosing the right material, yeah. you're, not, you're not choosing active songs, you're choosing passive songs. Passive, what I call a fortune cookie yeah. song, a song where you open up the fortune cookie and it says, life is just a bowl of cherries. And I quote Kristen Chenoweth and I say, why are you telling me? And right. Because it doesn't, it, I, I'm thinking you want songs that tell us who you are. So I'm very, I get on my soapbox and I do a whole spiel when I'm doing a master class, I do the spiel, then I work with people either in master class or private. Can you give us privates. a little nugget of that yeah, spiel? I was going to say. For, for our young listeners, even though I know we should be paying you good that, money for that. But, not at all. I, I think that the, the single most important thing you can do in any audition is to reveal your sense of humor. And the worst thing you can do in any audition is to conceal your sense of humor, conceal the fact you have a sense of humor. The worst thing we can say is, well, she's beautiful, but she's, she's singing this turgid ballad about who cares. After the first three bars, I'll go, okay, you can sing. The rest of the time, I want to see who you are. So I think my go-to situation for a girl would be, you see that boy? I think he's really hot, but I think he likes my best friend. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. Something of your specific objective that you have to solve by the end of the song. Mm. Very few songs are that specific, but with every song you're working on, I'll always say, what is your action? What is your activity? What are you doing in the song? And if your answer is singing, then maybe you could find a better song that has right. more of an activity yes. to it. <laughs> yes, we deal with that quite often. Oh, boy. I heard that um, you don't like what we call loser songs. Is that correct? That's the, correct. I, so I, tell I, us I a get, little more of that. Well, songs that present you in a negative light. If I'm sitting there thinking, well, usually we're behind the table, I'm talking about auditions, thinking, and I want to work with you because you are a man or woman, as I hear in the lyrics of your song, and then find songs that tell us who you are. And if I hear, you know, and I want to work with you because you're a fuck up, then I'm like, why do I want to care about that? So people present, and, and people, it's probably the n number one gripe, people sing songs that present them in such a Debbie Downer want, want way that I'm like, why would I ever cast you when I want to know that I want to love you? That I'm not saying you won't get cast every day of your career with those songs, but I'm saying you're getting cast in spite of what you're singing instead of because of what you're singing. Now, if somebody wanted to uh, contact you for an audition coaching, how do they go about doing that? Well, the best thing is send an email. I'm, I'm not in town a lot coming up because I've... You're all over the place. I travel a lot because I, I find I get work in other countries and a lot of money and, and it pays the bills. Um, but when I am in town, I love to work with people. I love... I, they can send an email to me. My email address is broadwaymhl at aol.com. Yes, I'm still on AOL. Broadwaymhl. You, you, you own that. That's great. And I'm going to ask you, this is putting you on the spot, a rough estimate, rough estimate, how many songs? First of all, it's not only just the living room. You also said there's a storage center downstairs. Storage room downstairs is packed to the gills, and I have oh, the file cabinets at the front door you may have seen. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And you've also that. had some wonderful assistants over the years, I believe. My, being an assistant for me often pays off, not because you're assistant for me, because often leads to other work, because my assistants... I've, my very first assistant was Deb Leamy. If you remember a show called Never Gonna Dance, which of they course. called... Yeah. Never Gonna Recoup, but, yes. you know, that's yes. a different story. <laughs> but um, uh, starred dear friends of mine, Noah Racy and Nancy LeMenager, yes. who I love. Nancy did Chicago with me at Wichita, played Roxy, right before she started rehearsals for that. But the second, the soubrette, the second romantic female who was engaged to Noah in the show was my friend Deb Leamy, and she was my very first assistant for many years, a long time ago. I think she lives in San Francisco now. And um, then I had uh, Cesar Samayoa currently starring in Come From Away. And I remember I was about to start, Rob Sapp was going to take over for, for him. And Rob was a friend who used to stay on my couch when he was at college, a right. dear friend. You know Rob? from yeah, He runs yeah, Dirty Sugar, yes. the photography. And, and Cesar called me and said, Oh, Rob's taking over his box. Because Rob was the original chip in Spelling Bee when it was at Barrington Stage. Oh. And at the last second, he was about to do it off-Broadway. Then 
um, David Stone, somebody who directed it, James Lapine, oh, said, yes. we're going to make it Philippine. And we're going to give it to Jose Lana, and he was out. But David Stone felt bad, so he said, do you want to go over as Bach? And he said, so he put him into Bach. And so I called Rob and said, congratulations, I'm so thrilled. For and Rob said, my parents don't know yet. How, how did you find out? I, have, I, I haven't even had costume fit. How do you know this? Because Caesar knew, I guess. Caesar oh, found yes. out through something. <laughs> but my assistant then was, uh, I knew this kid. I'd done this musical called Honk at North Shore mm-hmm. in 2000. Uh, they, I I got it through a fluke. I was telling Rob uh, Styles and Drew, yeah, Styles and Drew. Um, Kimberly Grigsby was supposed to musically direct it. She had done it at the Nyack at the, the Helen Hayes with Allison Fraser, a different cast. Except Gavin Krill had played Ugly, and she. The day of our auditions, I had been playing auditions for North Shore for many years. I went to the auditions, and she had just been offered the Full Monty, the original Full Monty. So she had to back out. And they knew me at North Shore. Drew and Styles knew of me from my work in London. And they said, do you want to do it? I said, yes, I'd love to. So Julia McKenzie came out from London to direct it. And the design team, the choreographer, everybody from London, Drew and Styles were around. Mm-hmm. And they kept telling us about this kid, Gavin, who was wonderful. And Julia and I didn't know him at all. But he was on tour with Fame. And he sent us a videotape in his hotel balcony in Hawaii singing a cappella. And Julia and I looked at each other and went, yep, yep, he's good. Let's use him, right? So I've known Gavin since then. And, and he just got me house eats for Dolly. He's great, great, great friend and a great guy. And that cast was ridiculous. It was Nancy Opal, Mary Stout, Jim Hindman, Ken Primus, Bob Walton, um, even the chorus people, David Ayers, who went on to do Fierro for a while. It was a really... And we did it then. The following year, they saw Wayne Bryan, who runs Music Theater of Wichita, saw a video and said, do you want to do it at Wichita? Where at North Shore, I was conducting from the keyboard Mm -hmm. at Wichita. I conducted up front, and we made a CD, the American cast recording, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm very proud of. And and the cat was Josh Prince, later to be a Broadway choreographer, Mm -hmm. Shrek and Beautiful. And Mm -hmm. um, and it was was a great, great, great experience. And I brought Honk up because we were talking about something else, but no, 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 no. Going back a little bit, we were talking about honk, right which led honk. to. Um, no, I brought up honk because we were talking about something. Else. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. No, no, no. I'm trying oh, to. I'm trying to go back because I was so engrossed with the, the the Gavin Creel story of the audition. We're going backwards. We were at Musical Theater of Wichita. It was before it was I Boston, North, Bo- North, North Shore. Shore. Right before I mentioned Honk, though, I, talk, I mentioned Honk for a reason. You're such a fascinating storyteller. We just we went. I'm, I'm we, rambling. We went on the journey. We went on the journey, and I can't remember what we were talking about. Why but would the, I bring the up thread Honk? being so assistance and clean. Break. So, so one last question for you: um, An unlimited amount of money is given to you to make a cast recording of a show that has not been preserved yet. What show is it going to be? Oof. I have no idea. That's a great. One. That's good. You that can think about one. it. That's a tough one. Well, there's. Do I you mean, have one? No, uh, no, I I don't. Because, but you're so passionate about these ones, that, and you know, you know so much more than most people about what's out there, what's available, and what needs to be heard again. I mean, I would just record single songs from shows, not necessarily mm. do an entire cast album because there are songs I like from certain shows. One of the things I'm thinking about doing when I have time, when I'm here for any length of time, is starting at the A's and getting a couple of people who sight read music. Sally Wilford, if you know the brilliant Sally Wilford, oh, an old friend of mine. Oh, great. My God. Um, and have somebody like Sally and maybe somebody else just sit there with, with the A's and literally spend a, a week or two just going through everything, going, that's a great song. I don't know that because I don't know half that of what I like have heaven. here because yeah. I have a lot of stuff that I've never sung yeah. through. So I need to learn it all. That's why, that's why I don't have no idea how much music is here. Just I know it's thousands and thousands. But I don't know a lot of it. And where can we get your CDs, though? The the lost 
Volume three you can get from me if you send me an email because uh, I, I have an extra stock of that. I'm out of the other ones. I think they're on CD Baby or Bruce Yako might ha still have copies of them. I'm going to put the new ones out. I'm thinking about finally putting them out not as CDs. And so few people buy CDs, I right. find, this day and age. Yeah. I'm thinking I've had a discussion with the engineer about it. And he agrees with me that I'm going to put them out as MP3s. Marvelous. Um, and maybe put package them and have some fancy liner notes that if you buy you know six tracks of course fancy liner notes like with them but um i think that's going to be more economical visible yeah. than paying all this money to have cds that nobody's going to buy right. yeah Except i think that's the, a brilliant us crazy idea. collectors <laughs> we did one that's all jerome kern the wonderful samantha Massell, who mm -hmm. was uh hoddle in the revival mm -hmm. of fiddler she was really a champion did some amazing work on it and merrick smith who covered in fun home mm -hmm. he also is on that it, it's got lots of great people on it and it's all obscure. Jerome Kern, you won't know any of the songs, but they're terrific. Great. Um, <sighs> and there was an all Julie Stein, Comden and Green that Gritzer's on, that Christine Petty's on, um, Kudish is on. That's all um, either Comden and Green and Julie Stein together or with other collaborators. I have that one. And that one I'm rather yeah. proud of. That's got a lot of good material. Wonderful. Wow. Well, we will promote this like crazy, but I appreciate it. Uh, because we're such big fans, thank you so much, though. Thank for you so much. I'm honored for to be preserving here. everything, nice. but also for, like we said before, being so generous and so enthusiastic and not being miserly with these amazing, amazing pieces of material that you have. I just want them to be known. I mean, Feinstein and I feel very similarly. We've talked about this at length. He says, anything you want of mine, it's all, always yours. And I feel the same way. I yeah. want this. I want this stuff to be out, to be heard. I know the composers feel the same way. Yeah. They'd like their material to be heard. Yeah. yeah. So I let's agree. just keep it out. Well, we'll keep spreading the good word. Right. Till next you. time. Bye, Thank everybody. you so much. Thank you. Nice. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.